Man, I'm lucky to be her dad. <laughs> At this time, I will dismiss the children to Children's Church. I see Amy to my left. So if you have kids that are not already out in the hallway, we would love to have the kids in the children's ministry. It is a blessing to be able to be a part of a church that's much bigger than what happens in the four walls of this building. The reality is the Wesleyan Church and the church as a whole is much, much bigger than sometimes we ever imagined. Uh, we have multiple missionaries who are here today, and I heard uh, Miss Sherry share earlier the names of a couple individuals. Uh, I will just mention one of them, you will not hear their full name, and that's on purpose, simply because of where they are serving. Sometimes we cannot share some of the information of, of who they are and what they're doing. We are grateful for people who are willing to serve in places where it may be more difficult. So thank you to each of our missionaries for what you do. We do have a guest speaker who is going to share with us this morning. And Janice Catrone has been a missionary for a long, long time. And actually, I met Janice on the mission field in Haiti. I was working with a, a guy named Bob Strum, who was in my church in Pennsylvania. And we had the opportunity to go serve at that point in Haiti at the Wesleyan Hospital there, where she has a nursing program. She is no longer in Haiti. I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about what she does. But what we see in Janice is someone who has a heart for missions, to be able to meet needs around the world. And I'm going to ask Janice if, he, if she would come at this time and just share what the Lord has laid on your heart. Would y'all welcome her? Good morning. I don't like I don't have one of those microphone things and I promised him I'd stay still. So if I don't just remind me to go back to here. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was in this church a long time ago when you first built. Soon after you first built. It was my mom and I were here and I was visiting several churches in the district and I did, it was my first um, furlough home from Haiti. It was 1987 I came back. So it was 1988 that I came here. And Brother Wiggins and his dear wife and family have been dear to us for many, many years. It's good to be here with you. Thank you for your support for me. Haiti's a troubled little country. And I was supposed to go Tuesday, this Tuesday, to go back. But got the word about 10 days ago that that trip is off and Global Partners doesn't know when we'll be go, going back. Thankfully, I can do my job by um, internet, as long as internet is up in Haiti. But it's a troubled little country, and has been for a long, long time. And that's because Haiti sold its soul to Satan on January 1st, 1804, when their founding fathers, that was their Independence Day, when they were given independence from France, it's a French colony. They those founding fathers slashed their fingers in blood and signed, selling the soul of the country to Haiti for 200 years. And Satan doesn't pay very well, does he? And they've suffered from that. And 200 years, less than 200 years later, 198 years later, the then president renewed that contract two years early. It was supposed to be up in 2004, and it was renewed in 2002 for another 200 years. 
And I think that's why we see what we see in Haiti today. I would recognize that flag if I was on the moon looking down because that's the country that I've been a part of for 50 years now. You see, I'm kind of old. <laughs> and I first went to Haiti 50 years ago. And I don't, I'm not sure which that one is. I think that's Macedonia. Is that right? I'm not sure. And that's Sierra Leone. And that's Turkey. And Zambia. I was just there. And don't tell me, that is Guyana and Czech Republic and India. <laughs> I homeschooled my kids and I was really big in geography. So if you teach your kids and you have to learn too, right? But those are not just colors on a piece of fabric and they're not just strips of cloth and they're not just dyed whatever it is, cotton or whatever. Those are people. Those are people. I just got back from Zambia. That's why I know that flag. And I'll tell you, the Wesleyan Church is strong. Two weeks ago today, I went to church in an ox cart. And you couldn't hardly find a place to sit. There was so much Jesus. There was so much. And you could tell the difference. The, the Zambians say, we're a Christian nation. This country belongs to the Lord. And that's a lot different than that one. And you can tell it. Although we have some wonderful Christians in Haiti. God called me to go to Haiti when I was young, and he's never taken that call away. So people ask me all the time, how much long are you going to do this? I don't know, until God says no, and he hasn't said no yet, so I can't physically get there right now because the gang violence is so bad. Gangs control the country. They control the fuel supply, so there's no, there's no you can buy gas on the black market, but it's $50 a gallon. Who can afford that? People can't get back and forth to market to buy and sell. There's food rotting in the fields. Kids can't go to school. They can't function. And anybody that's this color is presumed to have a lot of money. And you're either shot dead or you're kidnapped for high ransom. And now there's cholera that's broken out there again. The president was assassinated in July a year ago, and there's no date for when there'll be election. Nobody can campaign, nobody can get out, so the sitting prime minister is there and the gangs don't want him. And the United Nations is coming in and other countries and they say we need to do something about this humanitarian crisis because people are starving to death and they are. But countries say we've already invested in Haiti, we don't want to do that again. And this week I got word President Biden is encouraging the U.S. to do something and I don't know what they're going to do. Nobody knows what they're going to do. But in the meantime, they're more than just colors on a flag. They're people. The Wesleyan Church is strong in Haiti. It's been there since the 40s. And our district superintendent for the island of Lagunave, the island off the coast of Haiti where the nursing school and where the hospital are, we have about 45 Wesleyan churches out there on that little island. And the district superintendent is also the administrator at the nursing school. And he told me this week, he said he pastors a church about three miles up the coast from us. And he said, it's like the widow in the Old Testament. There isn't any more oil and there isn't any more flour. And people are saying, we're just waiting to die. That's what it's like. Don't forget Haiti when you pray. I think the world is tired of hearing about Haiti. It's Haiti fatigue. There's so much disaster and 
sadness there all the time, and there is. But I don't think God has forgotten about Haiti. And I'm going to do my best there until he tells me not to, and he hasn't said that yet. I would like to, first of all, how long do, how long do I have? I've, li- I've, I've lived for Haiti for 32 years. I could keep you for 32 years worth of stories, but you don't want to stay here for 32 years. So <laughs> when should I stop? 10.15. Okay, that's about 32 minutes. That's good. 25. I'll do good. I'll, I'll do good because I'm a, I'm a professor, right? So I know when classes are supposed to start and when they're supposed to finish. I tell you what. I <laughs> Don't say this out of this sanctuary. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that because maybe this is recorded and then I'm really in trouble. But... <laughs> I just got back from Zambia, and the reason I went was because Indiana Wesleyan University, that other, that other Wesleyan school up north someplace, they, they called me about, I had just gotten back from Haiti in August, and IW called me and they said, we need you to go to, and I don't work for IW, I work for Global Partners, but they said, we need you to go to Zambia and teach community health nursing, will you go? And I said, well, I guess, but I have to make sure that, that my boss says so so I called Greg Edmonds real quick you know who Greg is right lives around here someplace <laughs> and and so anyway the global partners gave me permission to go to Zambia for six weeks and teach community health nursing to nine senior nursing students who were going there for a semester I think I needed a college course in how to teach American college students I haven't I haven't done that in 10 years and I think I came away thinking I think it's a lot easier to teach Asian students than American students. That's what that's the part you're not supposed to repeat. <laughs> but it's a great experience. They're great young people. Everything is electronic, you know, and 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 ebooks and all of this. And so if you don't have very much electricity or if you don't have very much internet, then your ebook doesn't work. And so then you don't read your assignment. So that's that's the part I needed a lesson on. But anyway, <laughs> Zambia is so much different than Haiti because of how the country got started. And we are so much different than people that don't know Jesus because of what he's done in our hearts. But the world is a mess. The world is a mess. And what are we doing about it? I want to direct you to a little passage of scripture that I know you know. I'm not even going to read all of it. It's in Luke chapter 5. And it's a little story about the fishermen that were out trying to fish. And they were out there all night long and they didn't catch anything. And that's the last thing a fisherman wants to admit is that he didn't catch anything. Usually it's like (laughs) you know how it goes. So Simon's out there. He's not Peter yet. He's Simon. He's frustrated. Hasn't caught anything. You could read about this later in another one of the Gospels. How they were out there all night long. I know what it's like to be on the sea at night. We live on an island. And sometimes we have to take patients across the mainland and into Port-au-Prince for medical care or for surgery that we can't provide. And sometimes I've been on the sea at night. And it's dark and it's cold.
cold and it's wet and we were so thankful to get off the sea. They were out there all night long. They didn't have anything to show for it. Now, that was important in those days because their wives or whoever would have sold their fish in the market and that's how they pay their bills, you know? That's how they send their kids to school. That's how they buy their clothes. That's how they pay for whatever they paid for, whatever they bought. If you don't have anything to show for it, that's frustrating and, and it's discouraging and it's a whole night worth of you're tired, you're cold, you're wet, you're hungry, you just want to go to bed. And these people were out on the sea all night long and they, they didn't have anything to show for it. Two ships, two boats. And it says in the second verse that they were washing their nets. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, but don't forget that part. Washing their nets. And Jesus comes along and he tells them to go back and let their nets down again. That's the last thing they wanted to do is go back out again. They'd already been out there all night long. And Simon, he's a little bit feisty. He's, he's kind of like me. I'm a little bit feisty sometimes. That's another thing that's not supposed to go out of the sanctuary. <laughs> and he says, but master, he knew who he was. He called him by name. He said, master, we've already been out there all night long. We haven't caught anything. And Jesus said, he says, nevertheless, because you said so, I'll do it. I'm not going to do this for anybody else. He called him master. He knew who he was. Because you told me to do this, I'll do this. There's another place in scripture that Jesus had told them to go, go back out again and put the net on the right side of the boat. Like, that makes any difference? Does that make any difference? There's not a wall down underneath the boat. Does it make any difference if it's on the right side? If Jesus said so, okay, because Jesus said so, I'll do it. Sometimes some of the things he says make no sense. I had lived in Haiti a long time. And I got married, went back to Haiti. We were there for four years together. Came back to the U.S., pastored. My husband retired. And we settled in Missouri. And when 2012, at General Conference in Kentucky... Everybody was asleep in our little motel room. And I was wide awake because God said, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to Haiti. And I thought, I've already been there for umpteen years. I don't need to go back. And God says, yep, I want you to go back. I want you to start. This went on all night long. It was like Samuel and God. It was like he was talking to me. I could, I could just hear God's voice in the night. And he said, I want you to go back to Haiti. I want you to start a nursing school. It's going to be an RN school. Students will learn a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing. The Haitian government is going to give you um, approval to function, which means they accredit us. They call it their approval to function, but that's accreditation. And it's going to be full of students learning how to be nurses. And you're going to turn healthcare in Haiti upside down. And I said, God, have you ever been to Haiti? This makes no sense. <laughs> Have you ever been over there? And I think that's probably what Peter was saying here. This doesn't make any sense. Have you ever done this? Put your net on the right side of the boat or go back out again? I've already been out there all night long. I know there's nothing out there. But he trusted the voice that was the person that was talking to him. And I trusted the voice of the person that was talking to me. 
in June 2012. I said, okay, all right, because it's you, I'm not going to do this for anybody else. <laughs> because it's you, I'll go back. And so I started back. And if Peter Simon had not obeyed, he would have lost one of the biggest blessings of his life. And if I had not obeyed God, I would have lost one of the biggest blessings of my life. So I started going back. I didn't know anything about how to build a nursing school. I'm not really good. You know, I, I don't walk around a lot. I mean, I know I'm not a preacher. I've never been to school to learn all those three-point sermons and all those things. I do really good behind a hospital bed. Not one of these. <laughs> I was in Indianapolis one time. I was preaching, preaching. I was given a message at Trinity, Trinity Wesleyan Church in Indianapolis. And, and I told them, I said, I don't do really good behind pulpits. I do a whole lot better behind a hospital bed. And they said, well, that's okay. We can get a hospital bed up on the platform. If that would make you feel more comfortable, we can do that. <laughs> that was really accommodating. God takes us out of our comfort zone. And he stretches us. And he makes us into things that he sees that we can be. I had no thought of ever being a dean of a school of nursing professor in another country in another language but I can tell you today we've had we have five classes of students that have graduated five classes of students that are now bachelor of science degree nurses in Haiti and I can tell you today that there are 23 new students in the freshman class that will be there tomorrow morning sitting in those seats they just started two weeks ago and I can tell you that the last RN exam that was given, the little school of nursing on the island of Lagunav, the little Wesleyan school of nursing came in number one. That's not me, folks. That's God. But we fight a battle. My goal when I started this school of nursing was not to not necessarily to teach people how to give injections and how to change bandages and how to assist in surgery. I wanted to turn the world, to turn that country upside down in the level of health care that people are getting, which they're not getting, through Jesus. I wanted every single graduate to know how to lead somebody to the Lord. And in fact, you can't graduate from my school if you don't know how to lead somebody to the Lord. That's a requirement. And this is why it's important. Many years ago, actually it was in June of 1986, I had a patient at the hospital. I was working at the hospital, which is right by the school. And a lady, a la I was at the clinic that day, and a lady came in, and she was very, very weak, very thin. Her mother and her brother were holding her up. And I, she landed in my lap, and so I evaluated her, and I knew she had BV. And so I told her, her name was Jean. I said, Jean, I, you, you need to be in the hospital. 
And her mother and her brother were adamant, no, no, no. And I said, well, if she's not going to be in the hospital, she's going to die. And I can't even guarantee that she won't die. But she will die if she goes home. If she goes in the hospital, she has a chance. Finally, they relented. And they let me admit her to the Wesleyan Hospital. So I did. The mother and the brother promptly disappeared. I never saw them again. But she was there for a couple of weeks. And every day, I would go in and visit with patients. I'd sit with them. I'd, I would do my evaluation of them and write whatever orders needed to be written. And then after I saw hospital people, I'd go up to the clinic and I'd see clinic people. So I'm starting around at the hospital. And every day, I would sit on the edge of her bed and I would witness to her. And the strangest thing happened. Every day, as I would talk about the Lord, she would roll over and face the wall and give me her back. And I thought, well, that's just a polite thing to do. And I thought, well, honey, you might have TB, but you're not deaf. So I told her about Jesus every day. She got stronger. Her cough got less. She was putting, gaining weight, putting on weight. And the day came to go home. And I, we have TB clinic once a month. Last Thursday of the month is TB clinic there at the clinic on the island. So I gave her an appointment to come back. It would be in two weeks on a Thursday. The Sunday before that Thursday, I was on call that weekend, and the hospital called me on the phone, and they said, you need to come back quick. It's Jean. She's not good. So I went running over to the hospital, and sure enough, there she was. She's sitting on a little bench inside the door in the entryway, and her mother and her brother were there, and I hadn't seen them since they disappeared when I admitted her. This time, Jean was hemorrhaging blood, and I knew that the TB had eaten into one of the major pulmonary arteries. So I said to her mother and her brother, we're going to have to put her in the hospital, but I don't, I don't know what will happen, and I knew what, I knew what was going to happen. So the hospital put her back in, and the same bed was empty. And I stood in the hallway. I had written out some orders really fast. And I stood in the hallway to talk to her mother, to talk to the mother and the brother, and tell them she's not going to make it through the night. This was the afternoon, Sunday afternoon. And while I was talking to them, one of our nurses went by behind me, and she whispered one word in my ear. And that word was hunga. Hunga in Creole means witch doctor. Lady witch doctor. And I knew why Jean had rolled over and given me her back. It's because she had sold her soul to Satan, and so did her, had her mother. Her mother was a witch doctor and her brother. And I did something that you never do in Haiti. You never point your finger at somebody. It's very disrespectful. You never do that. And I did that that Sunday afternoon. I pointed my finger at that woman and I said, you cannot decide where your daughter will spend eternity. And she looked back at me and she pointed her finger at me. And she said, let that be her decision, white lady, not yours. And she turned around and she left. And I never saw her again with her son, Jean's brother. So I went back into Jean's room. I sat on the edge of her bed. I took her clammy hand in mine, and I, and I knew I was talking to a dying woman. And she looked at me, and she said something I will never, ever forget. She said, Miss Janice, 
I don't know how to die. And I said, oh, yes, you do. That's what I told you about all those days when I would come and sit on the edge of the bed. Jesus heard what I said, and so did you. I'm going to pray. We don't have any time, Jean. You are going to lose your life in a few minutes. But you're going to wake up somewhere. It's your choice where. And Jesus is ready to forgive you, and heaven waits for you. Or else, what your mother preached all your life, and that ends in hell. I'm going to pray. And if you mean it in your heart, I want you to pray along with me. And I did. I prayed. I held her hand. I prayed. And I could hear her repeating every single word I said. And when I said amen, she said amen. And I opened my eyes, and I knew that I wasn't looking at a witch doctor's daughter anymore. I was looking at the king's daughter. You know, five minutes later, she was gone. Five minutes later. That's why I do what I do with our Haitian students. Because that's a country that is steeped in devil worship and Satanism. And we see it every single... I have had students that have come to school demon-possessed. And our administrator and I, when you go to work with Satan, when you go to work to cast out a demon, when you go to work to for that, you're working hard. Because the power of the enemy wants to control that person. But one day... At the school, I couldn't find any of the students who were supposed to have class. And none of them were there. And I said, where are those kids? I was aggravated at them right after lunch. And I thought, they're all off taking a nap somewhere. We have picnic tables around where different teams have come down and built picnic tables with these little shade structures over them. And the students love to go out there and study and eat their lunch. They were nowhere to be found. I said, where are those kids? They're supposed to be in class at 1 o'clock. And I was ready to, ready to roll with my lesson. And somebody said they're at the hospital. And I said, at the hospital, what are they there for? It's not clinical. They're not supposed to be in clinical. They're supposed to be in class. So I went marching over to the hospital like a soldier. And there they are in a patient room. And you know what they were doing? They were having a service with a dying woman. And I thought, they're doing just what they were taught to do. They were praying. They had somebody read some scripture. They sang a little song. They all gathered around her bed. They laid hands on her and they prayed for her. She got better. That's why we do what we do. They're learning by example. And I'm so thankful. God told, Jesus told Peter to go back. And if he hadn't, he would have missed one of the greatest lessons of his life. But he was willing to go back and cast out his net again. And you know what happened. So many fish because he was willing to go back. I don't ever not want to be willing to do what God tells me to do, nor you. But the last point before I close in verse 2, I almost lost this. I never, would have, I never would have figured this out had I not spent so many years on an island where people fish with nets. Those fishermen were washing their nets. Why do you do that? Why do you, why, what is the purpose of that? They're, they need to be wet anyway. Yes, they need to be wet. We live on an island of salt water, and those salt fibers will destroy 
I mean, the salt water will destroy the fibers of a fish net. I see the fishermen mending their nets. They'll sit in the hospital with somebody, and they'll have their shuttle, and they'll have their twine or whatever they use, and they'll, they'll mend a hole in the net. Because if there's a hole in the net, you lose the fish. You lose your catch. They swim right out. You can't hold on to them. So what's the point of that? You have to keep your nets mended, and you have to keep the salt water out. That's what they were doing. And then they'll spread, them out on the, spread it out on the beach, but they don't leave those nets in the sun. You know why? Because a net is meant to be wet. A net is meant to be in the water. It does, do, it does no purpose if it's laying on the beach. It does no purpose if it's in a bucket. It has to be down where the fish are. That's you and me. We've got to keep our nets mended. We've got to keep our nets washed clean. And we've got to keep our nets down where the fish are, down where the catch is. And that's my message to you this morning is four simple words. Keep your net wet. If you don't remember anything, remember, keep your net wet. Down where God can use you. Down where those fish, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. It never wasn't supposed to be easy. But you're not in this by yourself. There's somebody holding on to your net. And he's going to pull you through as you bring in people that need to know Jesus from all these countries and every other one around the world. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support for me. Thankfully, I can do my job remotely as long as there's internet. I have good communication with students, with my faculty, um, the staff every single day, and can still work in teaching, and I can still have faculty meetings by Skype or Zoom or somebody. And I'm thankful for that. I was supposed to leave Tuesday to go back, but that's been canceled. And now they're saying months before they think they'll get back. I don't know, but I'm just thankful that I can still do my job in Haiti. I'm thankful for the impact that Mercy School is having on that little country. I'm thankful for you that are making it happen. God bless you all. Keep your net. So when you participate in faith promise giving, the local church does not benefit from that directly. We do because we're a part of something much bigger than just the local church. What you just heard Miss Janice Catrone share about is making a difference in the lives of other people. That means you are making a difference in the lives of other people as you give toward that. Thank you, Ms. Janice, for sharing, and I really appreciate hearing how God is using you in, in that setting. I know it's not just you. You've got other people working with you, but what you're doing makes a difference, so thank you. We're going to go ahead and close with a word of prayer, and I just want to challenge you. Make sure that you are keeping your net wet, just like Ms. Janice shared with us today. Father, thank you for each one who has come together today. Thank you that you have allowed us to be able to hear 
how you are working in other places. Thank you for the individuals that are being contacted, being brought across these missionaries' lives. Lord, thank you for those who have willingly gone to serve. I do pray that you would uh, bless them, that you would strengthen them, that you would allow them to do things they never imagined possible. Lord, I do pray that you would also begin to speak to hearts of others who will come and follow in their footsteps. Father, I pray that you would open up doors for young people and maybe some older people to be able to respond to your calling, to go and to do, to maybe cast out that net again, even though they've done so already. Father, I pray that you would allow us to be willing to do whatever it takes to send them. I thank you for a church that desires to actually make a difference outside of the four walls of this church. I pray that you would bless this church. I pray that each one that you would lay upon our hearts to give accordingly, that you would help us to be faithful to do so. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us as we recognize that even in giving, we make a difference for you. Father, I, I pray for those that desperately need you in Haiti, in Zambia, in whatever mission field these missionaries will serve on, on Southern Wesleyan's campus. Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would allow these missionaries to serve as your vessels, clearly communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us never to take this blessing for granted. Lord, I pray that you would use us. Do whatever it takes to reach the world for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is such a blessing to be able to have you with us today. I'm going to ask Miss Janice. I know that for Sunday school today, it will be a combined class that will take place in here. So I do invite as many of you as possible to stick around for Sunday school, and you'll be able to hear from some of the missionaries. Uh, but that being said, I'm going to ask Miss Janice if you'll go out into the foyer, because as some people leave, they'll have the opportunity to be able to greet you and just thank you for sharing with us today. I hope that each of you are encouraged to recognize that God is moving on the mission field. What you do here helps make that possible. Thank you very much. Go in peace.